Please open your Bibles to Luke 13, verses 10 through 21. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 872. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. May God bless through our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let's pray. O Lord, I do pray that you would bless your word to the hearts and lives of your people and help me as uh, your messenger to uh, proclaim it boldly and clearly, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, well, let's, let's just jump into this passage. Um, in verse 11, we see one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, while Jesus was preaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, a woman shuffled into the service. She was bent over at the waist and could not fully straighten herself. Verses 10 and 11. Now, as, now he was teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath, or in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten herself. You know, we see daily people with back problems, but we live in an age where we have surgeons, where we have chiropractors, we have various medications, and this poor woman had none of that. I think, uh, in my mind's eye, in the way uh, the commentators were describing it, living like 
18 years. And this is what we see here. One commentator said that she walked about as if she were searching for a grave. And at times she probably wished she could find one. Uh, those of you who, who have chronic back pain, I think you probably know what I'm talking about. This had been her condition for 18 long years. There's no suggestion that she was demon-possessed. Uh, when Jesus healed her, he did not cast out a demon. But in some way, she was being afflicted by an evil spirit. Luke calls it a disabling spirit. And we know it's an evil spirit because Jesus says in verse 16 that she had been bound by Satan for 18 years. I, I'm not exactly sure how to explain this. Uh, so I won't say more about her physical condition because it would all be conjecture and opinion. But it's evident she was in desperate need. I imagine her soul was also bent over with deep uh, discouragement, maybe even despondent despair. In spite of her condition, however, she made it a point to leave home and come to worship. Every commentator that uh, I read noticed this, made mention of it. We've been and continue to be in the throes of a year-long, year-plus-long pandemic. And there are many, for various reasons, who are wise to be cautious about attending public worship. And I would support that caution. The session would support that caution. But we also must hold up this woman as a model. Uh, this woman who could barely stand up, who had to shuffle into worship. I don't know how, long, how far away she lived from the synagogue, but she made her way there. We should cultivate a habit of church attendance. Uh, where two or three are gathered in Christ's name, he says he's in the midst. The church is, is more than a collection of individuals who gather to worship on Sunday morning. We are the body of Christ. And we need to be together to exercise the functions of the body, especially as it pertains to public worship. And as this woman stood there, stooped over, listening to Jesus as he was teaching, our Lord noticed her. He not only noticed her, but he healed her. Jesus takes all the initiative here. As we just sang uh, about the Lord taking the initiative in our salvation, well, the Lord took initiative in her life. She wasn't crying out to him for healing. He noticed her and he healed her. Look at verses 12 and 13. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. 
Our Lord Jesus is the sovereign Lord who loves to show mercy. He healed her immediately. He healed her completely. And what was her response? She began glorifying God. And in the midst of her rejoicing, what happened? But this, this, this synagogue ruler stood up to make an announcement. What an announcement it was. I'm just, I'm stunned. I've read it several times each, um, each day this week, and it still stuns me. He stands up, verse 14, But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus healed her on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. <laughs> this woman had been bent over like a human pretzel for 18 long years, and her healing makes him angry. And then he's too cowardly to confront Jesus directly. Instead, he addresses the crowd. This guy's a piece of work. Now imagine the face of our Lord Jesus as this synagogue ruler made the announcement. As Jesus glared at him, I'm assuming that Jesus had an expression of perfect anger and indignation on his face. Verses 15 and 16. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman... A daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. Jesus hurt some feelings with that statement. Verse 17, And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Meek and mild, Jesus put his adversaries to shame. He humiliated them. And frankly, they should have been ashamed because their behavior was shameful. And he's speaking in the plural. I'm assuming that the, the synagogue ruler and the other rabbis who were there uh, I, I would imagine maybe even the synagogue ruler felt some pressure to stand up and make this announcement because these other rabbis, he felt like, were judging him for letting this go on in his synagogue. And sadly, there is no indication that any of these rabbis, nor this synagogue ruler, ever repented. The human heart is so hard May God pour out his spirit and break stubborn hearts. As Jesus continued to rebuke the hypocritical synagogue ruler, he went on to tell two parables to explain the, the nature of the kingdom of God and how it grows. 
And we know these parables are connected to the healing of the woman and also the rebuke of this synagogue ruler because verse, verse 18 begins, and he said, therefore, the word therefore should catch our attention. When we see the word therefore in the Bible, we should say, what is that word therefore? And so it makes a connection with what went ahead of it and what he's about to say. So again, verse 18, and he, he being Jesus, and Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? We know these parables. Um, well, let me say this. There are a lot of, of bad interpretations of the two parables, especially the parable of the mustard seed. Well, I guess both of them. There's a lot of, of over-interpretation that takes place with these two uh, parables. But because he links these parables to what he has said before or what he did in healing this woman, what he said to the synagogue ruler, um, we need to take that into account. I think most of the uh, abuses of these two parables uh, do not adequately uh, realize the link to what had been going on before. So I think Jesus is using these two parables to illustrate that the kingdom of God will push forward to victory in spite of the opposition of men like this synagogue ruler or even Satan who had bound this woman for 18 years. Jesus delivered this woman uh, who had been bound by Satan for all these many years with a simple touch. And he delivered her over the, over the objection of the religious elite of his day. These parables uh, proclaim the ultimate victory of the kingdom of God. But at the same time, Jesus teaches that his kingdom begins small. And indeed, very small, we will see. And it grows gradually but it keeps growing toward dominance. The parable of the mustard seed in verse 19 teaches us that the kingdom of God begins small. I think one of the reasons why Jesus is teaching this is to continue teaching his disciples. His disciples had been looking for a political Messiah that would rally the nation behind him. But Jesus is more interested in healing a poor woman who had no standing or influence in the town. He has no interest in rallying the nation behind him. He's looking at this one poor individual who has been bound for 18 years. And instead of trying to win over the rich and the powerful and the influential, Jesus is alienating them. You know, God's kingdom does not begin with grandeur or pretension. It begins with the poor virgin who was with child and gave birth in a stable and had to lay him in a manger. That child grew up in an insignificant town named Nazareth 
worked in the family business until he was 30 years old, and then he chose 12 unlearned, for the most part, uh, disciples to pour his life into. (laughs) And then of those 12 that he chose, one of them abandoned him. And then he died a humiliating death on the cross, leaving his 11 disciples to proclaim the gospel. And what happened to those disciples? All but one of them were martyred. They were killed because of their proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, a small beginning, almost unnoticeable beginning. But 2,000 years later, in spite of ongoing opposition, over 2 billion people uh, claim to be followers of Christ in the world today. Though Christianity is shrinking in our own nation, it's growing in Africa. It's growing in South America. It's growing in China. And the parable of the mustard seed was Jesus' prophecy of the phenomenal growth of his kingdom. His parable of the mustard seed proclaims to every generation that follows after the Lord Jesus Christ. When things get hard, when it looks like it's going to be so difficult that the kingdom of God will not endure, it will continue on. Even if you don't see it growing, it is going to grow to dominance so that the nations of the world will come and find refuge in its, in its uh, expansive limbs. From a seemingly insignificant beginning, Christ's kingdom has grown and will continue to grow beyond all expectations to become a blessing to every nation of the world. Verse 19, it is like, as he's talking about the kingdom of God, it is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. You know, this is important for us to hear in our day because it's, in, it's tempting to become discouraged about the things of God. We seem to be in a spiritual decline in our generation. Evil is spreading without any check. The church has, has nearly lost all moral authority in our culture. And how will the decline be reversed? Will it be reversed in our nation? Will we just continue to decline and become like, like uh, Europe? where the gospel has been shrinking and diminishing to to the point that it's barely even noticeable. In spite of all appearances, Christ's kingdom will continue to grow. America's dominance might not, or, or America's dominance is not assured. But Christ's kingdom and its dominance is certain. The mustard seed of the gospel will continue to grow because it has the power of God within it. 
It is packed with life-giving grace, and nothing can keep it from growing. It will grow to dominance because the mustard seed of the gospel is Jesus Christ himself. So I want you this morning, as we look at this parable, as we look at both of these parables, to be encouraged, to be full of expectation about the future of Christianity in the world. Give yourself to the work of the gospel. Redouble your prayers for the extension of Christ's kingdom. His kingdom is unstoppable. But you might say, I really don't see it. And how can I expect Christ's kingdom to grow to dominance when it's not really growing too much in my own life? I struggle every hour with ongoing sin. My prayers seem ineffectual. And I struggle to see much spiritual progress from year to year. Well, if this describes you, I've got some good news for you, and I've got some bad news for you. Which do you want first? (laughs) I'll, I'll give you the good news first. The good news is that this is the normal Christian experience. All Christians struggle daily. You know the Apostle Paul. The very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I hate, I end up doing. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. That's why the Bible talks about the, living the Christian life in terms of warfare. Fight the good fight. It talks about being vigilant. It talks about taking the kingdom of God by violence. It also uses athletic metaphors. Um, run the good race. Don't give up. And on and on. Because the Christian life is not easy. And I want you to know you are not alone if you are struggling. (laughs) Now the bad news is, this is the normal Christian experience. You'll never arrive at a place where the struggle uh, will disappear. You will struggle daily all your life. But as you struggle, you're struggling. As you are in the hands of God, who promises that neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities, neither height nor depth, width or breadth, nothing under all creation will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As you're struggling... The Lord Jesus is carrying you forward. And I want you to be encouraged about that. Because it's tempting to give up. It's tempting to give over when you're not seeing the progress that you think you ought to be seeing. This is the point of the leaven in the next next parable. The leaven is kneaded into the dough And it's completely hidden from view. And so as the baker is working the leaven through the whole batch, nothing seems to be happening. He's folding it over and over and over. And the the batch doesn't seem to be growing. All the hard work that the baker is, is doing, is putting in, seems all for naught. 
But after the baker leaves for several hours and the dough begins to rise very slowly, almost imperceptibly, but it rises. And so God's grace is at work in you. It might seem imperceptible, but it's working in you and you're growing. And you might not see a lot of growth, but then you look back to where you were five years ago, where you were ten years ago, and you see so much growth in grace. You say, how did I get here? Only by the grace of God. (laughs) But it is a grace that is at work in you. The kingdom of God does not grow by slick marketing plans or by the latest Christian fad. It grows organically. This is true of individuals. It's true of the mission of the church. Organic growth is real growth, but it takes time. Lusts are crucified uh, gradually. Sanctification takes a lifetime. Church, a church grows in its mission One life at a time. You know, we like hearing the stories of the amazing growth of God's kingdom. But typically, the gospel spreads very slowly, almost imperceptibly. Listen to what Philip Ryken says. He says, The kingdom of God grows in the heart when a little boy or little girl promises to live for Jesus no matter what. It grows in the home. When by faith a a husband takes spiritual responsibility for his household and a wife respects her husband. It grows behind bars when prisoners hear the gospel. Jeremy told me he did something bad. He, He confessed to me that while he was at the jail, he heard a little commotion while they were praying. He peeked during prayer. Oh, that's so awful. But what Jeremy saw was one of the men was weeping and the other prisoners came and laid their hands on him and some were hugging him and encouraging him in the middle of the prayer. And Jeremy would have missed it if he had his eyes closed. But the kingdom of God was growing right there in that room behind the prison walls. It grows on the streets, continuing with Riken. It grows on the streets of the city when Christians show quiet mercy to people that society has forgotten. It grows in all the lost places of the world where missionaries live out their faith in daily obedience to Christ. The real work of the kingdom of God and of the church in the world is not always obvious. So, Christian, take heart. Grace is growing in your heart, and it's growing in the world, even when we cannot see it clearly. There are two principles of of kingdom growth in these parables that I want to highlight. First of all, it starts small, a little mustard seed. Mustard seed was notable because it was the smallest of the seeds. And secondly, 
the kingdom of God grows gradually, almost imperceptibly. And then there's a third principle of the kingdom of, of kingdom growth that's taught in both of these parables, and that is the growth of the kingdom will be prevailing. In the parable, uh, in the parallel passage in Matthew 13, the mustard seed grows into the largest of the garden plants, and that makes a lot of sense because a mustard uh, plant is not the tallest of all the trees. I used to think it was the tallest of all the trees because I read it in Luke and and, uh, did not do a close comparison. But um, Jesus says it's the largest of the garden plants. Jesus in Luke says it, it grows into a tree, and he does this to emphasize the um the prevailing dominance of the kingdom so of all the the typical plants in a in a garden a mustard seed is indeed the tallest it grows to a height of 8 to 12 feet that's far from being bigger than most trees but it towers over the tomato plants over the brussels sprouts um and, and the other vegetables that, uh, that you would typically grow in a garden. Jesus calls it a tree, again, to emphasize its dominance. And the birds of the air, representing the nations of the earth in Matthew's gospel, are able to make nests in its branches. In other words, the kingdom, starting so small, is going to grow so big, that it is going to reach all the nations of the world. All the nations of the earth will find refuge in the expansive uh, branches of the kingdom of God. And all this growth comes from one little seed, the seed of Christ's death on the cross, and from the kernel of his life in his resurrection. Or again, the parable of the leaven. The baker sprinkled just a little bit of leaven into three measures of flour. I don't know how many of you are are bakers to know how much that would be. Three measures of flour is equal to 16 five-pound bags of flour. So once you add the water and and the leaven rises, you have... 101 pounds of dough. You could make enough bread with that to feed 150 people. So again, Jesus is talking about the expansive nature of the kingdom of God in both parables. As it begins working in a person's life, it starts permeating and transforming their thoughts. It starts permeating and transforming their will. It starts permeating and transforming their emotions, even their desires. And it might be slow, but it is truly transformative. And the same thing happens in a local congregation. As many believers gather together to worship God, to love one another, to encourage one another, to spur each other on to faithfulness and good deeds, The leaven of the gospel transforms the whole congregation. 
And then the congregation begins to transform or affect the community around it. And the kingdom of God grows. As we draw to the conclusion of this sermon, I want to ask you, how are you growing? It's easy to become discouraged by our apparent lack of spiritual growth. But I want you to remember, you are a branch that belongs to Jesus Christ, the true vine. And he will help you grow. Look to him. Entrust yourself to him. Rely upon him. He will help you grow. This is the message of the parables here in this passage. In fact, it's actually, let me be a little clearer. He is helping you grow even if you can't see it clearly. Second, I want to point out that Christ's kingdom will continue to grow as it says in Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 until the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. If one does not accept that Jesus Christ is the Lord, if one refuses to follow him and does not believe that his kingdom should be their priority, too bad. Jesus does not bend or shake his shape his kingdom or his gospel to fit our self-centered formulations of reality. His kingdom is growing. Its consummation is inevitable. His, at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. I urge you, I exhort you, I command you if I could, bow to the Lord Jesus Christ if you have not done so already. Entrust yourself to Him. Worship Him today. Today is the day of salvation. And then thirdly and lastly, For those of you with chronic back pain or or chronic pain in general or those with various disabilities, slight or great, this woman's healing points to the time at the end of history when all believers will be raised into our glorious inheritance of the saints and all who suffer with disabilities or chronic pains will be made whole in our Lord Jesus Christ and we will forever be with the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, I pray that you would encourage us with this uh, teaching of our Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to not be like that stubborn um, and hard-hearted, unloving synagogue ruler. Oh, Lord, help us to be like the people who witnessed your work and gave you praise and glory and honor, submitting themselves joyfully to you. Lord, encourage the downcast. Lift up the heart that is tempted to give up. Lord, give us a joy knowing that you are the king and your kingdom will never ever 
be destroyed or held back, even as um, the influence of the church shrinks in our nation, the Lord Jesus is on the move, and we do pray that uh, he would conquer every heart. Do it, Lord Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen.